0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 429. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. First, I'd like to give a shout out and thanks for putting up a five-star review of the show to R.P. Scheck, put it up on Apple Podcasts. This week's interview is with John Shanahan. John is co-founder, president and CEO of Business Solver, an HR benefits administration solution that combines tech and service. Founded in 1998 with Sean McMurray, the organization is an industry leader and under the helm of John Shanahan has created a strong and healthy culture that has enabled strong growth. In this conversation, I wanted to uncover the keys to Business Solver's success. We discuss how John has steered and crafted the Business Solver way, the challenges of sustaining a culture via remote work, and how to maintain engagement. We also discussed their annual state of workplace empathy and much more, a most stimulating conversation. You'll find all the show notes on Minterdial.com. Please do consider to drop in your rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. John Shanahan, it's wonderful to have you on the show. You are president and CEO of an organization that I have been tracking certainly Ever since I got involved with empathy, business solver. So, in a, in a few words, how would you like to describe yourself, John?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. You start out with the tough questions first. Uh, yeah. in a few, in a few words. Uh, you know, I think passionate, innovative, um, strong-minded, uh, and very competitive. You know, we do strengths finders. Competition is my number one strength. I I look at the world through. A comp- you know competitive lens.
0: well um, that must have done done you well because you founded uh, the, the business solver in 1998 if I understand correctly I'd love for you to tell us the the founder story what what happened back in some garage or, or a desk <laughs> in 1998
1: yeah no I mean I think uh, I was working inside of uh, an insurance agency. And uh, I was introduced to um, Sean McMurray, who is a a co-founder in the business. Sean was on the technical side of things and he was trying to solve for a lot of data issues. You know, the internet was nascent at that time. Uh, People didn't trust it. When you thought about putting your social security number in there, it was a scary thing. We don't even think twice about it today. And we just saw a whole bunch of messes in the insurance industry. And uh, we started out trying to solve everything in and around the insurance industry, and found out that we'd probably run out of money, time, or uh, be, not be very successful at any of them. And so we had to we had to narrow in, and we said, you know, this benefits thing is a mess. Uh, this employee benefits thing is a mess. And by that I mean, you know, you would see that HR and benefits professionals were trying to wrap up, uh, you know, their last year's annual enrollment mess. Right as they were going into their next annual enrollment mess because they're trying to decipher handwriting. Employees didn't understand what they're filling out. Remember, back at that time when you signed up for benefits, you did it by, you know, paper and 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 pen. And it was a mess. And so we just looked at that one and said, there's a lot of opportunities here to empower employees, to get, you know, HR and benefits people out of the, you know, kind of admin portion of it and to use the internet to do that. And and uh, it turns out we were right. And uh, it, took, it took a while to get going, as it does with any business, but um, once we started to, to get some tailwinds from legislation, like you know, some of those crazy acrony- acronyms like HIPAA, um, and people got more and more comfortable with doing these things across the web, it really became an, a powerful lever uh, our technology did in the, in the benefits space.
0: I love how you started off, John, talking about how you wanted to solve everything, and you know my yeah. parallel is I I left I was general manager, and I thought I knew everything about management. I, you know, you're a generalist. The problem is being general is sort of you're good at lots of things, but you're great at nothing. So I was imagining you sort of you felt like oh you had to be more strategic about you know what you really are good at, what problem you're really solving.
1: Yeah, no, I mean I think that you know any entrepreneur founder especially if you put two of them together, can brainstorm their way, you know, to, uh, you know, paralysis. But I think, you know, eventually, if you, you know, once you start to, you know, hire employees and, you know, take on some investment from investors and, you know, grow up a bit as, a, as an entrepreneur, you, you quickly realize uh, looking at your uh you know, bank account, uh, because you probably don't have, you know, strong financials in the beginning, you start to, you know, start to realize you better make some hard decisions and fast. And unless you want to be one of those statistics where you're an unsuccessful business. And so, um, you know, I think we were both grounded in the sense that we as founders wanted to be successful. And so we're willing to make the hard decisions and, you know, it was hard. You did come to places where you had to make decisions about laying employees off rebooting on your business plan you know gathering up you know your ego into all the things you thought would work and dismissing that and then moving forward which is you know just like a manager that's never easy to look yourself in the mirror you know with a hard lens and say you know are we doing the right things are we going to be successful are we going to make it you know be
0: there's such a a challenge for entrepreneurs because at some level some people are really great at starting a company yeah and then yeah. there's the growing it and then the, we can call it the managing it as it sort of gets in, gets into maturity stage. So you've now yeah. been in business for 23 odd years. Yeah. Do you have in your mind some of the the sort of step change moments? You know, I, I for example, when I talk with creative agencies, they say usually at 60 people that then you, you lose the intimacy, uh, you know, everybody. So what are the yeah. steps that you've seen over those twenty-three years? Because now you have a thousand two hundred employees, is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many. I mean, and there's 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 uh, the people focus, right? Where there is a different uh, dynamic when you go from twenty-five to fifty to hundred to five hundred to a thousand. I mean, things change, and and you have to change, and you know what you need from a leadership team has to change and evolve. So there's there's definitely that. Then there's on the investment side as you, you know, bring in different rounds of professional investment uh, investors and investment. Um, and then there's just the customers as you continue to to grow and you start with you know small market customers and then mid market and then you get into you know the enterprise and the, the super enterprise if you will. Um, and and their level of sophistication, what they demand of you, your team. Your organization and so you know I think about it on those dimensions I think about the you know kind of what the investment hurdles did to us um, and helped us with what the people hurdles did and helped us and you know helped you know me as an individual grow and learn uh, and change and develop and then you also think about it on your customers uh, because the different types of customers you bring in and their levels of hurdles and sophistication also change you and most all of those changes are positive, but at the time you may never view them that way. I mean, I think that's the, the beauty of hindsight In hindsight, you look back at this and you say, wow, those were some incredible challenges to overcome, but it made us, you know, made me better. It made the organization better. Um, but I'd say those are the three dimensions I look at.
0: And it sounds like, uh, you know, when you tell your kids, well, this scar comes from that. And- yeah it's it's cute it's, so
1: you, it's this it's it's this wrinkle and that wrinkle yeah,
0: this gray yeah. hair still have yeah. hair so you've yeah. you've grown this company and one of the things that i've been observing and i feel is uh, somehow at a boiling point is this notion of ever growing constant need to grow to what extent do you subscribe to a constant need to grow is it is it really, is, can it be more than just satisfying shareholders? Uh, is, is there, is there another approach? What do you think?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's where a lot of people start out. And, you know, this is a common question because especially when we were growing and it was painful, we had to, we had to address it, that question. Um, of course, you know, investors are always looking at it that way. And in the software world, you know, that's something you sign up for. But I think when we when we think about it, um, I think we came back to uh, more of a a view of to ultimately delight your customers, you have to have employees that are engaged and delighted. And so if your mission is to you know, grow your business and delight your you know your customers, then you can kind of find a, a symbiotic view, which is, hey, listen, growth is great because it gives, uh, if, you know, in any of the communities you work and live in, it provides new opportunities for potential employees to join your organization. It provides new opportunities for employees in your organization to grow, acquire new skills, you know, make more money, be more fulfilled, all those things that you want as a founder uh, and CEO of a company. You want to see that your employees have opportunity. You want to see that in your communities, you can, help those communities grow and and we've certainly done that and then on the other side of it for customers you know if i've i've never seen a company that's growing that isn't innovating and so the other side of this is i talk to customers about yes growth can be painful because you can feel our warts and freckles you can feel you know when the when the ship is shaking but on the other side of that that innovation in software provides you know kind of an evergreen uh, software and partner for you because we're always thinking about what's next. And we're always trying to stay ahead of the challenges that you're going to face. And so if you, you think about it, it, well, you know, the growth, when people talk about software, they talk about businesses that are successful. They're talking about bookings growth or revenue growth. And it's all kinds of things like rule of 40 and, you know, got to have more than 20% growth and all those things. But I think at the end of the day, the exciting thing for me in being in a business a long time is that growth has led to great success stories for lots of friends and families and great success stories because we've helped our customers grow. Most all of our customers are not on the platform because they're they're dying or shrinking as a business. They're almost all growing. And that was especially true in 2020 when they, they had to pivot their businesses. And some of them had to do furloughs and some of them had to pull back and some of them were growing. But we were able to help all of those customers. And so I think it's a, growth is a fun story, and it's really um, an amazing thing that companies can do for their communities and for their families and for their customers. But you have to look through the right prism.
0: So interestingly, through this pandemic period, I'm wondering what type of innovation you were thrust into having to do and if that's a manifestation of something that through this sort of hybrid distributed distance work that we're now having to do, you had to adapt the product you're selling, much less the way you're working.
1: Yeah, the way we're working for sure. Um and that's, you know, I wouldn't say it was easy. I would, but you know, the team was great. We got it done. We pivoted quickly. Um and we'd been, you know, everybody had, you know, or everybody should have had DR plans, and so it, it was an extension of your DR plan. Uh, really put to test. Uh, at, but but employees were fantastic about it, um, and that was another key part of it. But from a business perspective, yes, we were thrust into going remote at the same time. Our customers were coming to us, and some were saying, you know, we need to we need to look at our agreement differently because we've we've got to significantly downsize or. You know some, in some cases we were going into bankruptcy. Uh, some of the retail and hospitality sectors were hit hard. Um, and then they, they wanted to do the right things for their employees because you certainly wanted to cons- you know, extend your employee benefits program during a pandemic if you could at all afford to do it. And so we had to create new software and we had to fight you know we had to, we had to really work on the software that helped with furloughs and dir- direct bill scenarios. We'd never done furloughs or direct bill at the size and scale that we needed to do because candidly, you know many of our customers were having to look at doing some amount of furloughing um, going into the pandemic. Um, and so that was that was a big pivot and big spin because you know you had a lot more individuals reaching out to say, how do these benefits work? What do I need to do? How do I need to sign up for them? What does it look like? More individuals going into Cobra benefits. And then we had this little thing called ARPA come up, which was, uh, you know, a government rescue act, which extended COBRA benefits among other things, uh, and we had to change our software quickly to accommodate that. At the same time, states were expanding; some states were expanding their view on ACA, so we had to we had to make some changes there as well. Um, and some of those changes from the the government side of things were retrospective, which are always fun to deal with because. Uh, uh, software in software, you don't typically think backwards; you typically think yeah. forward. So,
0: so ACA yeah. is is the Obamacare? Is that is that the acronym? yeah? that's yes, right. Yeah, Just for for the non-Americans uh, listening, yes. they, they might not know that one. So, long.
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Wow, so that's a whole lot of change that you had to it do. Was. I mean, good lord! You know, when everyone's thinking about furloughing, there you actually have multiple new things have to develop. You're having to do it distributedly instead of you know the usual manner, and yeah. you know being agile distributedly when people are are very nervous and worried uh, yeah. with a system at home that may not be up to snuff. Yeah, that must have been a whole lot of heartache.
1: It was a whole lot of um, rallying the troops because you, if you remember, you know those days there was a lot of fear and concern going on, right? At the same time, you're, you know, for some of our teams, the workload went up exponentially. And so, you know, we really had to rally as a company to say, you know, this is what we're here to do. This is our purpose. And we now serve an even more important purpose. You know, benefits are always, you know, critical to families and employees and their, you know, the the health and function of an organization. But going into a pandemic and being, you know, laid off and trying to make sure that you understand uh, you know, if something happens to me, if I, if I get COVID, what, you know, am I going to be okay? Uh, and so I think that was, there was a lot of fear and concern, you know, of course in our customers employee set that that was happening to but at the same time, you know, you had a lot of employees adapting to a whole bunch of changes. Cause if you remember at that time, a lot of, you know, A lot of kids were at home with our employees working. Uh, You know, you had a lot of daycare situations that would start and stop. Um, And so, yeah, it's hard to get more work at a time when you probably have less functional hours to do it and maybe not the best setup at home. You know, a lot of us went into this thinking, I don't need to get that off. I don't need to bring my office chair. I don't need to get a standing setup. I don't need to organize a spot, or maybe I don't have a spot in my home. And so, you had all of those things going on with employees trying to be very supportive and just very appreciative that we were able to rally and get that done for our clients because it, it mattered a lot to those employees.
0: So, John, uh, one of the reasons why I'm particularly interested in having you on the show is is, a, is your whole work around empathy. Before getting into that, though, I, I was thinking, in your experience, you've got these 23 years of running this successful organization and you go through this tempestuous time. You mentioned this idea of of people's energy and and motivations sort of through this period. To what extent do you believe it's the role of the CEO, the leader to inject energy? Or is that something that you rely on your purpose to do?
1: Well, I think when you go, I mean, what I I found going into COVID, was that more than ever? People were looking for the CEO to have a voice and feel connected, uh, and you can't do that alone. But you have to lead in saying, "We're, you know, this is going to be tough. We're going to get through it. And here's everything I know, and here's everything I want you to know, because we we can only do this if we're doing it together. and And I don't think you can outsource that. As a CEO, maybe it's different if you you know weren't in the business and didn't found it for twenty three years. Maybe that's just my unique perspective, but for me, it worked. Even when we had to do our own layoff, it had to come from me in my view, and it had to I had to give the reasons why, and I had to own it. And so, I think you you know your entire team has to be on the same page, and they have to have a voice, and they have to lead their teams as well but i found that it was extremely important to to be there to be on camera once a week and we're still doing it uh and and to talk about what's going on in the business and to talk about you know how we were going to work our way through it and 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 let them understand the metrics of what was going on with their customers too because i think everybody was so uncertain that you know uh, in, including me and and to be open and honest about how i was doing and how i was feeling about it um I think that I think that's I I personally feel that's critical. Now, I you know to to I think your question behind the question, I think if you didn't have a strong culture going into the pandemic, you were going to have a tough time. And so one of the things that really helped us is we already had a strong culture going into the pandemic, and then we just leaned in you know like a family harder into that and said, all right, we're all we're all going through a tough stretch we're all in this together we know what we're trying to get done and here's where we stand and let's talk every week and that's what we did and so we continue to do and i think your culture has to continue to shift and change as you go through that as well and you know it's a new phase now as we look forward you know to to being committed to being fully fully remote
0: so uh, you mentioned culture you have obviously had many phases within your 23 years to what extent is the culture uh, John Shanahan's DNA, or and your co-founder, of course, is? Do you think there's a relationship? You you have an imprimatur of of you in your way in that culture. Do you do you see that, or do you not do you want to discard that thought?
1: I mean, I think that I think there's obviously I think there's uh, always you can't have fingerprints. Uh, you're always going to have fingerprints on everything. But what I would say is um, really our chief strategy uh, officer, uh, Ray Shanahan came into the business and said, this is something that is, cannot get away from us. And then everybody needs to be in support of that. So if you looked at the culture today, I think there's gonna be elements of founders in it. Like I, I would say our organization is extremely competitive but the maturation of that culture and the tending and care and nurturing of that culture you know we really needed somebody to 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 look after that and do that and she still does that today and then you know one of the important things we do for every new hire class is we put it back in their hands because as as good as we can be you know and become we also have to have people that are you know kind of what i would say cultural warriors you know it they, they believe in it and they that's the reason why they're here and they want to carry that torch and continue to expand on what you created. And so I think you've got to have uh, somebody on the team and the executive team that's committed to it, passionate about it. The entire executive team has to buy into it. Of course, people who started the organization have to buy into it. And then it's important as you know, I say to every new hire class, and so does Ray, you, you, the culture is in your hands. If part of the reason you came here, which is... Uh, you know, we hear that from every new hire class. Part of the reason we're here is because we love the culture of the company. Then it's your job to continue to own it, sustain it, feed it, care for it, and be a part of it. And when you see things that don't connect with our culture, speak against those things. Take a stand because that's the only way that it can continue to grow and and continue forward.
0: That sort of honest feedback—it's uh, a tough thing sometimes when you're at the top to hear it, but sounds like you you encourage that type of return hey that's not what this is we're about
1: yes i mean there's a lot you know i don't know if you know dave ramsey but you know there there are portions of day rams that i love but one of them is you know if, if if you're if this isn't the right place for you then it's okay to say i'm you know i'm out and but to you know to stay and and just struggle through it it's it's not right for either side of of the coin you know this is a a relationship and in the relationship if it's not working it's fine for either side to to say i'm out and culture is a big piece of that because there's the work you do and that has to be satisfying but the people and the company and you're just you know you, you you making the investment into that culture is key to being successful, and I think during a pandemic that that became you know that that became even more clear because it's your you know that's your family that helps get you through tough times, and we all saw a lot of tough times, tough times personally, tough times professionally, um, and I think the culture more than anything keeps you together, just like a family.
0: Yeah, so it it, it strikes me, John, that you really have a what I call an inside out approach which is that your employees are the ones delivering the experience. And so they need to feel fulfilled in, and got that motivation, the internal kickers to then delight the customer. So that's what you've done with Business Solver. At the same time, you have clearly made empathy a big topic. And so I, I would be curious, six years ago, I think it was you started the, these uh, surveys on empathy. I wrote a book on empathy and of course I started just plowing into everything. And I cited you guys numerous times in my books, uh, cause I was so interested in that. What, what was it that got you into empathy? Was it John Shanahan and team looking within the company and how you guys succeeded, uh, seeing the gaps in, in, in way leaderships have been in, in around the world, or was it just strictly your observations from the outside? How did that all come around?
1: Well I think we are always an empathetic organization you know I think just by saying your mission statement is you know that you're ultimately as part of that you want to delight your customers but you understand that the only way to get that done is by making sure your employees are engaged and delighted and want to be here and love it and love the culture and and you can't have a good culture without buying into the fact that you've got to be open minded and understand you know, how, how are my employees doing? And it's very easy when you can put everybody in a room. It gets much more challenging when you can't do that anymore because you can feel the culture when you're in a room. You can feel how people are doing when you're all in a room. Um, but when you decide that you're you know going to continue to grow and you're going to continue to have more employees and more employees and more customers and more customers, I think you've got to really step back and say, all right, well, what are we going to lean into and what are we going to put, you know, our name next to And, you know, at the time and still today, we had a a great partner in, in Edelman who had a trust index. And we sat down and said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we started to really lean into this empathy concept uh, as it's been a part of our culture. Um, It's something that we believe in and how could we go about making this our you know, kind of our footprint, our, uh, leaving our fingerprints behind and something we believe in and believe is important. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, Ray and team, uh, really worked with the Edelman team to start to say, well, how can we survey our customers or potential customers and just more broadly than really putting it into a science like Edelman did with trust and you know turns out now everybody wants to talk about empathy in some way i think i watched a, a lexus commercial the other day that now is leaning into how they design cars with empathy empathy in mind um so it it it's it's become an important concept which i'm 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 thrilled about but i think uh our the tracking of our work especially through a pandemic has just been has been really cool because we've seen some significant changes and, and some surprising things too, to us. I mean, it's, it's been a fun journey, but I think we've also done some important work for the industry.
0: Yeah. You were in your sixth study um, It says, well, basically there there's this massive uptake of empathy and then all of a sudden a big woof come back down on empathy. So I, I assume that's sort of what you were referring to.
1: Yeah, that. And I think that for me, and maybe it's just, you know, uh, a little CEO centric. I just think this, I think the CEO data is fascinating. It's just a complete disconnect for me. I mean, I just, mm. when I read through it, I was just like, wow, like uh, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I, I, I do get that. I do get how you can get there. Um, but I. The, think when, when pandemic, you say get
0: when you say getting there, that's the non-empathic CEO
1: Yeah. I mean, the 68% of CEOs say they fear being, you know, less respected because of, you know, showing too much empathy and showing too (laughs) listening, being, being, you know, authentic and, you know, there's, there's fear with that. And then there is, you know, 70% say that it's hard for them to demonstrate empathy consistently. You know, those two for me were just like, especially coming through a pandemic, it's like, I, I, you know, cause we did this pretty much, it wasn't post, but it was at the end. So you had all of 2020 basically, which was what we wanted from a survey cycle. And I thought for sure, I mean, I I learned a heck of a lot more about it, you know, uh, and, and how much employees needed, uh, and how much you needed to show that. Um, so I was just surprised by that. I mean, and then there's the, there's the, um, there's the youngest generation in the workforce still, you know, only 25% think that companies are being empathetic. So there's still a lot of work to do.
0: So since you you talk about it so much, I'm wondering whether in Business Solver you have a, an index or, or an ability to measure empathy. Um, I, I have yet to find anything that's satisfactory. So I'd love, love to know how, if you measure it within your company.
1: It's embedded in our Pulse Indice. So we have a Pulse Indice that we've been doing. It started with customers where they had to rate themselves uh, on a, a scale of colors um, with of course, red being the worst and yellow being, you know, I'm in trouble. There's things we need to take a look at and then green was pretty good and then blue was delight. And so we did the same thing over time with employees um, and we ask them to rate themselves. um, And basically we have an index that says, here's what they respond to in their answers, which some of them have embedded empathy questions in them. Um, And then we get a a second rating that says, well, you said your pulse was here, but your score really shows this. So we're measuring, is there a disconnect as well? And so, um, you know, we have 90% of employees reporting on that right now, which I think is pretty good um and it it what it's meant to do is just open a dialogue sometimes your your pulse is a function of many more things than just your work but it it's a way to give managers and leaders a sense of where their team members are and we spent we spend time on it every month reminding employees that we want to know that this is important for us to know and understand and that it's a two-way street it's it's a dialogue so I think it's a way for us to be empathetic, to show empathy, that we want to understand where employees are. And then we've got some embedded empathetic questions in there to test for where they stand.
0: So I, I'm, I'm imagining that you have dissected this notion of empathy because it, there's schools of thought as to what is empathy and to what extent empathy without action is empathy or useful. I want to start with the the notion of cognitive and affective, or let's say a, a pure cognitive understanding and an emotional reaction and, and feeling. So if yeah. I understand you rationally, John, yeah. is that is that satisfactory? Or it, do I need to feel what you're feeling? And where does that sit in your understanding or belief of, of empathy as a an important piece of business management?
1: Yeah, that's a huge one. Um, And I don't usually get that question, so I love that. I think I would say the number one time uh, that I get pulled into a situation with a customer who's in a red status, it's because we have failed to acknowledge their feelings and acknowledge where we are in that relationship, in our part, in in the place that we are, and the ability to move forward. So, by that I mean, if you we're in that position where the client is red, not all the time, but most of the time when I get involved, because we fail to just be empathetic and say, "I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I I see you on camera." <laughs> I'm looking you in the eye um, and, you know, I I feel bad about where we are today and I want to help move us to a different position. And so at that point, that's when I say, and now I just want to listen and hear where you are, because I don't want to presume that I know and understand where you are. And then the floodgates open and then you can get to a place where you can start to work on the relationship on a go forward basis. And keenly really, I don't think that's, you know, we're all humans. I don't think that's different if it's a customer or an employee or your spouse or your children. And so I think just saying the words to your point and just saying I'm empathetic, if your actions, emotions, listening don't support that, no, I mean, I—you know—all you know, all, you know, I've had several teams that have said the right things, but they customer just doesn't feel it you've got to actually demonstrate it
0: brings up another important point which is personal affairs because yeah. there is a school of thought that says well you know what happens at work is at work what happens in vegas oh sorry at home stays yeah. at home uh, yeah. to what extent do you accommodate personal elements and and in even in the conversation with customers that notion, let's call back to the Edelman, trust story. If if you yeah. don't trust somebody personally, is it possible to trust them professionally? Is that actually a good thing? I don't think it exists. I mean,
1: it's one of the number one things I work on. It's, you know, if you're going to have customer hands, then you've got to build relationships. I think more than ever during the you know the pandemic. This was a you know an ideal time to connect with employees and customers, and really lean into what was going on in their background. You know, I I encourage people to you know keep their background open. It, it was candidly exciting to meet meet new pets, to have you know see the, the kids ages, of, see the kids show up, not be afraid to say hi and talk, um, and uh, you know. It, it, if you're going to build strong relationships, uh, I think that's absolutely essential. If I look at some of our best long-term customer relationships, customers that have been with us for 20 years, uh, you know, it's a it's a personal relationship. Yes, at the end of the day, what you do has to support their business, but you also have to build those long-term bonds, really.
0: So With regard to your business, which uh, you're obviously an HR tech company helping these companies with their benefits, in particular, but we see study after study that talk about disengagement at work. They're just no one's motive. The motivation factor is is at best extrinsic. You know, uh, there's there's an unhappiness. There's a constant rotation. I'm wondering to what extent you think empathy is the, the magic source to increase engagement, or in your observation, whether through benefits, better terms and conditions, what else do you see needing uh, businesses need to up the ante on to get that higher engagement?
1: I mean, I think that's a hard one because the pure definition of empathy means, in my view, that you understand your workforce uh you personally uh the you know your leadership team and that you're aligned uh to understand the demographics of your workforce the engagement of your workforce um and to be listening and having the right forums uh and you know for us now teams channels where you you're getting a sense of that and and to have some data behind it if at all possible for us it's that a portion of it is that pulse engagement data and then and then to be leaning into what you're hearing, you know, it could be your your D and I initiatives. Um, you know, we had a DNI book club during some of the, the rough patches that we faced. And it was really important to listen to what was going, what what they were, you know, what that book club and the individuals in that book club as kind of pioneers in our DE DNI efforts were saying. And to some of the stories that we we opened up employees to tell the company about you know, times that that they had struggled through um, and times where they had felt uncomfortable and times where they had felt, you know, that they were put in in bad situations of no fault of their own. Um, And so I think, you know, you have to, one of the things that we found in the empathy study is whenever we're surveying, things move and shift on it. When we first started out, we thought, gosh, wow, wouldn't it be? interesting to understand what people think about the benefits that we pay for. So medical and dental and vision. Uh, And pretty soon we learned what, well, you know, I mean, pet insurance became more important and now it's flexibility and it's, I want to be able to work remote and I want that flexibility and I want flexibility around my time off. And, you know, if you're not thinking holistically about how you support your employees that's what really you know that's the broad term of benefits and in my mind it's going to continue to evolve you know with five working generations in the workforce and millennials being the dominant workforce by 2025 the definition of supporting your employees the definition of benefits uh is changing and evolving. And so I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit. I think the empathetic company, the empathetic leaders recognize that they have to listen and pivot. And, you know, we're seeing, we're going to see some pretty dramatic examples. I think our our data shows, and, and you're seeing it in what we're reading out there in how companies and leadership teams are connected or disconnected. From their employees and what their employees want and value and need to be successful. And when you, you know, what I like to say is when we went into this pandemic, if it would have lasted three months or four months, then maybe a lot of habits and lifestyle changes and accommodations to daycare and school and caretaking may not have evolved. And so now that it lasted and is still lasting in many situations all these habits have been formed all these life patterns have been changed it could be just your morning routine it could be your post work routine it could be how and where you do your work but if you're not listening and learning as you know an employer and as a leader in your business then you're 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 crazy you're 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 you're, you're You've lost all of your empathy because your your employees most certainly have had to adapt in different ways. And so how you come out of this and how you listen and learn and adapt, and again, it would be different for every organization, but I just think that's just a huge opportunity. It's, it can be either a huge mistake or a huge opportunity. And if you wanna be the employer of choice, if you wanna have employees that are engaged and excited and not disengaged and looking for another position, and you've really got to exercise that empathy gene. And I, I I don't think it's at heart. I think a lot of employees are telling you what they want. Just listen. Hmm.
0: Which requires a presence of mind, time, and the desire to hear, including things you yes. don't want to hear. Um, Fascinating. I, 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 one last uh, quick question, at least I, don't, I hope it's a quick answer, but Human resources. You're obviously dealing with them a lot. My experience, I, I worked in business for quite a long time. See, saw many HR managers and I also worked in North America. It, it struck me that oftentimes the HR component of the company on the on the board doesn't have all the power. A lot of them were having to deal with administration, basically hiring and firing and pushing papers and reports. To what would you say if you had a if to a CEO or other people who are dealing with this? How do you how do you get HR to have the value optimized that it should have in helping to foster the right environment, drive the culture, of course, get the right benefits, uh, but make uh, the those employees so much more satisfied to delight their customers? You know, I had
1: the good fortune of starting out you know, on the HR consulting side of things. And I had, uh, I, I did a lot of uh, studying in org psych and then uh, Ray Shanahan, who, you know, obviously joined the organization very early in our formation, came off of the payroll and HR function as well. Um, and and I think, and, you know, Sean, our co-founder, you know, was very people forward. Um, so I think we had the right view, of, of of how you needed to uh, respect and respond to the HR function in general. But I think, you know, I think it was Harvard Business Review or it was uh, most recently wrote an article about the coming of the CHRO role and how important it is now coming through these times and how important it's gonna be some of the disconnects we have about the talent available and the talents we need and and mapping to how you're going to be that employer of choice and so when i've seen some of the the not so great comments coming from ceos about what i perceive to be a disconnect between what employees want and need and will you know will provide you in return a level of excellence i think the disconnect comes from them not listening to what their HR teams are writing and saying and what their marketing teams are writing and saying. And you know, I think when we did our client summit that you know, clients asked me, you know, like, you know, "A, will you please talk to my CEO and and, and B, wh- why do you feel this way?" And, you know, h- how can you change the the way other CEOs think? And and you know, kind of started with, you know, how to get there. And I had to I had to start by admitting you know, I wasn't always this way. You know, I was also the guy that liked being in the office, got up early, stayed late, uh, and you know, loved to loved to see people in the office and loved to be around people and loved to assign my expectations for what work is onto them. And so, I get that it's very easy to do that. I get that it's very easy to say, "I was raised this way. I did it. I had to do the hard knocks. I had to drive to the office. I had to go through traffic. I had to do all these things." And Oftentimes it can be rewarding as a CEO to, you know, have the the respect and the ego. And, you know, I created all this. This is all my kingdom, if you will. But what I like to say is the emperor doesn't have any clothes on now in some of these scenarios because they're just, they want it to go back to the way that it was. But you can't do that. You're not going to get the best talent. And so I think the hard thing, you know, long answer to your question, the hard thing is part of it is the CHROs, the people in leadership in HR and engagement, as we call it, are going to have to step up and demand a level of respect and point out the failings of CEOs and leadership teams that don't see what's coming, which is you will not attract and retain top talent if you're not listening to your employees and you're not pivoting as we all go through changing times, which, you know, it's going to continue to change, uh, right? And so I, I think it's, Yes, I could say the easiest thing is, you know, CEOs should be listening to these folks, but on the other side of it, I would challenge that the HR has to take a stand. And if you, if your values don't match your CEOs, you should go, there's going to be plenty of offers for you out there. If you're an evolved CHRO, you're an evolved benefits person, and you see a different path, the the CEOs and leadership teams are going to get it because they're going to start to lose talent
0: love the final idea and conclusion uh, john so how can someone now uh track you down follow what you say thought leadership that happens at business Solver, or even inquire more about how business Solver can solve their problems
1: i mean we're we're all over twitter we're all over linkedin uh you can definitely connect us through our website but uh yeah we're, we're definitely we're definitely in all those places i think Um, we've had we're always posting on some of these issues and and we will continue to do so but um, super excited for the time today and really appreciate uh, us getting together
0: great thought leadership John thank you very much thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show you'll find the show notes and other blog posts on com. if you enjoyed the show please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review and to finish Here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
2: told the lie of a woman